Mindless Can, the podcast, with radio personality Jane Lindley Thomas and psychologist Paul Bushel. Because every act of kindness, no matter how big or small, can change lives. In this series, Jane and Paul hope to enrich your life by giving you practical tools on how to be kinder in your relationships with yourself, with those around you, at home, work, and in your community. Welcome to another episode of the Kindness Can podcast with myself and the ever-gorgeous Jane Lily Thomas. It's my pleasure to invite someone who over the last year and a bit has become a very special part of my life, not only my personal life, but my financial life also. Yeah, it's wonderful to invite Heather Davidson-Flack today from HW Accounting Services. She has over 18 years of experience in finance and I know that there's no one better to talk about money and kindness. Two words that sometimes don't always go in the same sentence, I suppose, but no one better to bridge that gap for us than Heather. Welcome, Heather. Thank you very much. Thank you, for uh, Paul, for that introduction. Uh, I hope that I'm worthy of all of those uh, wonderful words. So I'm going to jump straight into it because, as you said, time is money. So firstly, good morning, everybody. Jane and Paul, thank you very, very much for the invitation and for opening the door to this conversation. I know it's not an easy one. For most people, financial stress is the worst kind of stress to deal with. And I know for myself, that certainly rings true. So a quick background of who I am and what I'm about, where I come from. My name is Heather. I grew up in a very small little town called Fierichen in Gauteng. And I love to hear Durbanite say the word Fierichen. <laughs> I'm the youngest of three sisters. And we lost our mom at a very young age. I was just five. And my dad raised us on his own, on a computer technician salary. Life wasn't easy, and we had to get by on really little. Enter greatest learning of my life, number one. At 15, my dad told us we all had to go and get a job. There would be no pocket money for entertainment or movies or hanging out with our friends. I was totally incensed at the time, and after approaching the Chinese restaurant that was only the only place with higher underage people, I got my first job by answering the phones in the afternoons between the lunch and dinner shift and taking bookings for the restaurant. Looking back later in my life, it was one of the greatest giftings my father gave me, which was the ability to earn my own income and have faith in myself that I could do that. Needless to say, we all knew that there was no money for university or tertiary education. So when I matriculated and was offered a full bursary to go and study any form of art of my choosing, yes, I matriculated and majored in art and accountancy, I turned it down to go and pay for an accounting degree. And needless to say, everybody thought I had totally lost the plot Enter greatest blessing number two, which was knowing myself so well to know that art was my passion and it's not a subjective thing. And in order for me to make that my career, I would have had to become very objective about my art and being the Pisces I am with all the emotions that run through me and the fact that I wanted to smack anybody anytime they said they didn't like the work I had produced, I realized that art wasn't the role for me. So I joined an accounting practice and began my articles, studying at varsity at night and waitressing on the weekends to pay the bills, and so started my journey in finance. In December 99, I moved down to Durban and became an internal accountant bookkeeper for a private sector company in Durban. And three years later, on my 23rd birthday, HW Accounting Services was born, 
and going on 18 years later, I'm very privileged and very proud to say that we are still here and still fighting to break that old traditional accounting practice mold because most accountants don't want to be emotional. They want finance to be objective and something totally unemotional. And I just don't believe that that is how it really can work. What I often find, though, is that people associate finance with fear. The bank is some six-legged monster that's lurking in the dark. A budget is some unseen puppet master there to control your lives and take away your freedom. And SARS, well, SARS is just the devil. <laughs> I'm used to giving talks to people about what practical things you can do to make your business more tax efficient, compliant, or labor efficient. But today gives me a wonderful opportunity to talk about a different side of finance. And for me, the part that really, really matters. And that's the people side. So I've put together a list of seven things that I've observed over my years in business that have seen people achieve great success in the face of financial difficulty. I really hope there's something in here that can help you and that you can glean a little bit of wisdom from. The number one and most important thing that I have learned is that life is about people. If you take our cars, our houses, our clothes, everything away, all that is left are people. People are different with different emotions, different morals, different perspectives, different points of view. But the one core thing that remains true about every being that I have engaged with over the years is their reaction to kindness. Very few people can stay in a place of ego, of anger, and of resistance when you are being kind. That is not to say that you have to be a pushover. Stand in your truth. Respect your, your point of view kindly. But I can tell you time and time again, and I've been involved in difficult negotiations, staff disciplinaries, partnerships that are going wrong. But if we bring the kindness element into it, the energy shift in that conversation or that interaction changes everything. Know it, for it is true. The second thing is subscribe to the philosophy that nothing is ever the end of the world. Change your perspective. The glass may be full, the glass may be empty, but we've got a glass. We may need to squeeze every last drop of water out of that tap, but as long as you are holding your glass, there is hope. So never, ever give up. You are the owner of the glass. Own it. The third thing is that we are all part of a village. Be kind to your village, whether that's your banker, accountant, lawyer, or debt manager, but most especially your staff and colleagues. Richard Branson had a wonderful saying, which I say all the time. Train your people so well that they can leave, but treat them so well that they never, ever want to. I want to tell you a story about a client I had, a very, very successful business in Durban that made products that the world wanted. They were exporters, but they were so unkind to the people who worked for them. They didn't value them. They didn't recognize their contributions. And affirmation or acknowledgement can go such a long way. That company closed down with a full order book. Build your people and your people will build your village. They will be there to support you. Invest in them. The number four thing that I've learned is do what is right, not what is easy. Now, this is a tough one because I found that in the world we live in, so many people have come from a place of what's in it for me instead of what's in it for us. For me, this is summed up in all areas of my life by the mantra, 
do what you can live with. That company that I joined in December 99 in Durban was a startup. So when we started, it was just me and the boss. And three years later, we built it into a significant enterprise. I was earning 5,000 Rand at the time, still waitressing part-time, Nemo's Cabana Beach. And I went to my boss and I said to him, I would really like to stop waitressing at that point. And with all the work that I was doing, I asked for him to increase my salary to 8,000 Rand a month. He was incensed, outraged, angry. And even though he acknowledged in the discussion that should I leave, we would need to employ three people to replace me, he couldn't let go of the principle of almost doubling somebody's salary. Now, although I only had to give 30 days notice, and that would have been the easy thing to do, I knew that I was an integral part of that company and that just leaving them like that wouldn't be the right thing to do. So against all the advice of all the friends that I was had at the time, I gave three months notice. I helped them employ the three people it took to replace me. I trained each and every one of them in their job function. And when I left three months later, even though my boss was still angry with me, I left with my head held high knowing that I had done the right thing, not the easy thing. Two years later, he phoned me and invited me for a cup of coffee. He sat there with tears in his eyes, telling me how for two years it had eaten away at him, that he had been so angry with me for leaving. And yet, despite all of that anger, I had still done the right thing by him, his family, and his business. He apologized. He asked me to contract to him. 16 years later, he is still my client today. All four of his children are grown and have businesses of their own, and they are clients of mine. And they have referred numerous business people to me over the years. Now that for me is a truest example of doing the right thing, not the easy thing. Number five, if times are tough financially at home, put ego, pride, blame, and guilt aside and pull together as a team. Stand by those vows that you made on your wedding day and get on the same page. It is not just your or your husband's sole responsibility to well Involve your children in the exercise too. Get a family budget, put it together and stick to it. A budget tells your money where to go rather than wondering where it went. Start looking for another job in the meantime. Come up with an, an idea to make some extra money in another way. Allow your kids to be part of the process. Teach them that they can be part of the solution. We don't need to shield them from all of our struggles. I seriously advocate for teenagers to have part-time jobs, even if you can afford for them not to. As I said earlier, it was the greatest gift my dad gave me in a relatively safe space where I could test these waters and navigate the working world. How are children going to become financially responsible if we don't give them financial responsibility? And they will surprise you. They are actually able to achieve a lot more than, than you think they can. Now, number six, if the poop is hitting the fan, turn the fan off, throw a sheet, exit the room. But don't stand by and watch and wait. The worst thing that you can do is nothing. Be an active participant in your own financial life. Beware of small expenses. A small leak will sink a great ship. Love yourself and your family through it. Talk about what you have rather than what you don't have. About seven years ago, a long-standing client of mine who operates in the public sector, so in the tender business, encountered a glitch in the tender. 
and their millions of rands of income dried up overnight. Immediately, he and his wife came and sat with me with every single one of their personal expenses. They're an affluent family in Durban. They sold one of their cars. They pulled their kids out of private school. They stopped shopping at Woolworths. They cut out the coupons in the newspaper and they rallied together as a family to make the really hard sacrifice with the whole of Durban watching them. But they did it for a greater purpose. A philosophy I really, really believe in and I don't advise to anybody is to incur debt to finance lifestyle. It's inevitably a road that is going to end in disaster for you. You have to make those changes. You are in control of where you spend your money. It may be hard, but do it. I promise you it will be worthwhile in the long run. That family pulled together as a family, left their kids in non-private schools at the end of it, and they are a stronger family for it and really somebody I'm so proud of because when times are tough, often people are too proud to make the changes and the sacrifices that we need to make to get through. So number seven and my last point Don't be scared of the tax system. We have one of the most progressive tax systems in the world. It's actually something really to be proud of. And in that tax system is a lot of things that can benefit you. But if you don't ask, you don't get. If you are a commission earner, if you have a medical aid, if you have a retirement annuity, or if you have significant cash medical expenses, you are due a tax refund. I have something I say to my clients often. We all have to pay taxes, but nowhere does it say we need to leave a tip. Do yourself a favor and get some qualified finance advice if you feel you are struggling. It really is a great investment. So in closing, I know that the world loves to tell people to be objective, to be unemotional about their finances. But I say the exact opposite. Kindness and finance are two sides of the same coin. One totally enables the other because after all, behind the bank, behind SARS, behind the labor lawyer, is just another person with the same feelings and difficulties as you. And if you engage in a kind, regardful way, very, very seldomly have I ever found somebody unwilling to engage back. In the space of kindness, there is no room for ego or pride which is often the contributor to things going wrong. So come from love, collaborate, communicate, and be kind. On the other end of that line is just another person. I really hope that that has helped in a small way to give you a little bit of insight. I see Jane's hand going up. Pick me, pick me. Hello, and first of all, so nice to see your face, and this is exactly why you're my accountant. Um, (laughs) But interesting, um, so I've come a long way as far as my relationship with money is concerned, and there's two questions I want to ask you. The first is, do you buy into the notion that money is energy? And the second question is, when going through a tough time in a family where you've got young children, how do you converse around it that you don't make your children grow up with the fear of money? Sure, Jane. I think those are two very, very important questions. 
So let's deal with the first one. Just remind me. Was, do you believe that money is energy? Yes. Energy is okay. money. So the, 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 the way in which you approach money is the way in which the money will come back Definitely. to you. 100% do agree with that. If you are chasing money, then money is what you're going to find. But money is something that's not alive. It's not living. It can't create an emotion. It can't generate an emotion with us. So I often look back, especially now, and I think, wow, 18 years, how is it that I'm still here? And that's because I've never chased money. I've chased helping people. I've chased investing in people. I've chased trying to make a change for good. I can't stand the traditional accounting practices because, you know, there's a lot of bad jokes about accountants for a reason. A lot of people want to get as far away from helping people as possible. So definitely I believe money has energy, but it's the energy that you give to it. If you allow it to be something that creates fear in you, then that is what it will be. And I always say, quantify the problem. When we don't know what's wrong, it feels a lot scarier than actually realizing, well, hang on a second, it's actually only that amount on my credit card. It's actually only that thing over there. It's not everything that is going wrong. And if you sit down and proactively make decisions on how to change that, that may be that we as a family decide we're not going to have another takeaway for the next six months. We're going to buy loaves of bread, we're going to make our sandwiches, we're going to buy the chicken and we're going to cook it. But it's an empowering experience that allows you to take control of your life. And then to answer your question on kids, I, again, am very firmly of the belief that our children are a lot more capable than what we give them credit for. I found with my own kids, and I've got four of them, okay, that when we would go to the shops, mom, can I have this? Oh, mom, I want that. And I would be, no, 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 no. And eventually I got to the place where it was actually affecting my relationship with them. And Mm -hmm. so what I decided to do was totally change the conversation. We are in control of so many things in our children's lives. Why not put them in control of something? So I sat down with each one of them from the age of six, and said, this is your pocket money. If you want to buy a chocolate at the shop, go for it. If you want to buy that fluffy toy at the shop, go for it. But when the money is gone, it's gone. But you are in charge of where that money gets spent. If you want tuck shop at school, you spend it. If you want to save that money, no problem. And what I do is at the end of the year, any money that they have saved from their pocket money, I will match. It allows them to set long-term goals. So it takes away that fear factor of everything is hard, everything is stressful. And if we as a family are struggling, don't go into the depths of how bad it actually is. But just let them know that it is tough because, trust me, they can feel that something is going on. They can feel that something is happening. So demystify the situation for them empower them and ask them to contribute. Every one of my clients who has been struggling during COVID right now, when I've told them to sit down with their kids and explain to them that we all as a family have to make a few sacrifices, that may mean no birthday. All my kids' birthdays are in September. Nobody's having a birthday party this year. Not out of fear, but out of choice. Because it was their choice to say rather reinvest that money back in the family. And it was a really beautiful thing to watch. So don't bring your fear to your children. 
bring your love and your empowerment, they will grasp onto that and they will run with it. I haven't met a child yet who said, I'm very sad that I did something to help my family in tough times. Mm. They all actually want to contribute in their own way. So let them. I hope that answered that question. Yeah. Can I follow on from that and say, do you have any idea what, and I suppose it pertains to each family, but what pocket money group because I get so confused as to how much it'd be like just a little bit of a like this can line your your wallet it'd be like a if you save then you know in three months time you can buy lego like I don't actually know how to how to gauge the the pocket money situation I'm quite bad with that I think um it's everything within reason and depending on the age so my 16 year old her pocket money is 550 rand a month which sounds like a lot of money, but for a 16-year-old who wants to go to the movies, who wants to go and have her nails done with her mates, who needs to buy airtime for her phone because I give her 200 bucks and that's it, you'll be surprised that that money actually, and, and I will now hear her making decisions. She will speak to her friends on the phone because they all want to go for a manicure and she'll say, sure, guys, that's 200 bucks, eh? I think let's rather get one of those face masks, come home, and we'll do a pamper party at home. And it hasn't affected my relationship with her by saying no. I say, that's your lot. Decide what you want to do with it. If you want to buy a bag every single month, I don't mind. But when you want to go to the movies with your mates next week, don't come to me. It's not me saying no. It's your budget saying no. So I think for our littlies, for for the eight-year-old and the nine-year-old, they get 200 rand a month. And again, my my youngest, it has allowed her to set a long-term goal. She decided at the end of last year that she was going to save up to contribute and buy a 2,000 rand laptop of her own. And she sat for month after month after month. She didn't buy anything from the tuck shop. She didn't spend her money at the shops. There was no, can I have a chocolate or can I have this? But that look on her face when she walked into that shop and she put down her money on that counter, it was the best feeling that I'd ever had because I had created a healthy relationship where she was empowered to choose. Mm. I suppose money so often has so many emotions around it. And we've often spoken about teaching our children from as young as possible when they have certain feelings to pause, to look at that feeling, and then try to think, well, what can I do to make this feeling better? And I think a lot of what you're saying about money works in a similar way. So I've got that old feeling around money again, the money feeling, the money stress feeling. So a really useful thing to do is to pause, uh, whether it's my own or as a family, and break that problem down, kind of externalize it, describe it, and then work out some steps of what am I going to do with that feeling slash money problem. Exactly. Because in that process is empowerment. We all are not powerless. Times may be tough, but there are things we can do. Like I say, a silly little thing like saying we're not going to have takeaways. I promise you, if you guys go through your credit card statements and you actually look at what we have spent on takeaways in the last three months, despite a lockdown, you would be highly surprised at how much money you can actually save. It's the fear of the unknown that's scary. So questions come in here. Um, HP, what would you say is a good balance uh, of savings and credit in terms of one's salary or would credit even be a part of this equation? 
Okay, very, very, very cool question. And I love that you've asked this. People who say to me, I have no credit. I have no credit cards. I've got no store accounts. I have no debt. And I'm so proud of myself. And my answer to you is that you are not actually helping yourself. Because if you don't have credit, it doesn't allow the world to realize how you manage credit. And therefore, when you want to buy that car or you want to buy a house one day, the bank says no, and you don't understand why, because you think you've done such a wonderful thing by having no debt in your life. The one thing that I do have to tell you, though, I come back to what I said in my talk, never incur debt to finance lifestyle, ever. It is number one no-no. Debt needs to be a means to an end. I'm going to open a business and I have to buy assets and then my business is going to generate income and therefore I'm going to take a loan. But because I still want to go and have my nails done every week or have my retail therapy, I'm not going to go and increase my credit card limit. So one thing that also doesn't make sense is to have a credit card, which is the highest form of interest you can pay. It's the most expensive debt you can get is your personal credit card. It doesn't make sense for your credit card to be maxed out at 10 grand and be sitting with 10,000 rand in savings because the interest you're going to earn on the savings is nowhere near to the interest that you're going to pay on that debt. So when it comes to savings and finance, have a look. I always say spend after you've saved. Don't spend and then what's left over, save. Decide how much you want to save every month, even if it's 500 rand. And put that 500 rand away and then manage your expenses so that your debt doesn't, you know, rage out of control. We could talk forever, but a question for me, last one for me. What, do you, what, what would you say to someone that's found themselves in a situation where they have maxed the credit cards, they are in an unhealthy situation with their finances? Where's a good place to start today? The best place to start today is quantify. Quantify what your hole is. Okay, how bad is the situation? If there is somebody else in your life, like your husband or your need to give your kids whatever they, they want or desire going on, get an external person to come in and mediate with the family. It's often a lot easier for me as an external objective person with no vested interest to sit down and tell your husband that maybe this weekend we shouldn't go to the casino again. It's a lot easier to come from somebody else than to come from you. My advice to you would be quantify how bad the problem is. Engage with an external person if you feel totally overwhelmed. I often will always give a free consult to somebody just to help you because with a little bit of direction and having a plan of action, I always say if you don't know where you're going, you won't know when you get there. So let's quantify what the goal is and then put very, very specific plans in place to make changes. But Understand that it's going to be hard. So get comfortable with the fact that we're going to make some, make some sacrifices. But you will be empowered through the process because it's your choice. It's your process and you are the only one who can change it. Yeah, it seems to come back to that idea that when having to eat an elephant and debt can sometimes feel like that, uh, resilient people, uh, people who are able to bounce back from those moments are people who are more likely to ask for help. And I think that's, that's such sensible advice in so many situations that when you're feeling overwhelmed, put up your hand and ask for help. Oh, I love you. Guys, thank you so much for the time. Uh, it was really so lovely to chat to you guys. Chat to you soon. Lots of love, everyone. 
You've been listening to Kindness Can, the podcast. Find out more at kindnesscan.co.za.